0: What's chance, is it? Ah, that's that's
1: that's
0: the silver fans.
1: It's been described as the greatest game of netball ever played, the 2010 Delhi Commonwealth Games final between fierce rivals Australia and New Zealand. The fact it was the 100th match between the sides who had battled it out over the decades only added to the symmetry of the occasion. It was an unlikely setting for a game that had fans in New Zealand and Australia glued to their TV sets – and he is not a country known for its netball. Also, the lead-up to the Delhi Games had been a controversial one. Poor ticket sales, incomplete venues, and security concerns dogged the build-up to the games. Former Australian Diamonds coach Norma Plummer experienced the subpar accommodation first hand. When you step in your
2: bedroom and all the sewage comes up through the floor, it's not—it's uh. <laughs> not what you call, you know, really fond memories, you know. You look back on things, you know, some great trips you have, and uh, accommodation doesn't stand out like
1: that one. New Zealand sports journalist Ricky Swinell covered the Delhi Games and says there was a race to get the netball venue ready in time.
3: Before those games started, it was just sort of one disaster after another. And before the netball competition began, just like literally just a couple of days before, they hadn't even been able to lay the court because a lot of netball courts can be um, shipped in and, and laid down, and obviously. Um, Delhi not being the hotbed of international netball, it wasn't like they had a netball court ready to go. So it was being laid with, um, I can't remember if it was a New Zealand or an Australian company, and uh, just a couple of days before they started, it hadn't even been fully laid. So I can only imagine what it would have been like to play on.
1: Delhi is also a hot place. It was around 33 degrees when the final was played. The Silver Ferns spent most of their build-up in Singapore where they could get used to the heat, which put them in good stead. But former Silver Ferns legend Irene van Dyke says there was no getting away from the humidity.
0: It was hot all the time. The training venues that we trained at was incredibly hot. I um, know that our physio shares had all these ice packs and ice vests and all the um, cold towels within um, ice to put around us just to make us cool down slightly. But um, it was absolutely packed to the brim.
1: Anna Harrison, niece Scarlett, never expected to be at the Commonwealth Games in Delhi. She left netball in 2007 to focus on the all-consuming goal of qualifying for the 2012 Olympics in beach volleyball. She started playing on the international beach volleyball circuit in 2008. But by the time she got to the start of 2010, she'd lost faith that she and her teammate would be able to reach that Olympic goal and made the difficult decision to step away from the world tour
4: and came back probably around, I don't mean, know, April, May. I okay, came back from the World Tour. I had no intention to go back to netball, that's for sure. You didn't? No, I, well, I, thought, I knew Com Games was that year, but I hadn't played since 2007. So I had, that wasn't on the radar, but um, well, So Ruth and Waimanama had a meeting in netball New Zealand to see if I'd be, I guess, interested in trialling again and to um,
0: cover off some...
4: Just where where, where everyone was at in terms of ability to work together (laughs) from past. So, yeah, it wasn't on the radar.
1: The final was on the last day of competition before the closing ceremony. So a number of athletes from New Zealand decided to watch the game between the Silver Ferns and Diamonds. As the Silver Ferns entered the stadium, they saw a sea of black in the stands. The world's two best sides squared off, as they had done on so many previous occasions.
5: We are underway. The 100th match between New Zealand and Australia. Great pass over the top of the Thermalator. Van Dyke managed to snatch it and pull it in. We're back to one. And we're into the last 60 seconds as we count down to halftime. Williams has come up with the intercept. Scarlett's got it. That's what we like to see. New Zealand have the advantage.
1: Anna Harrison started the game on the bench, but was one of two tactical changes made by coach Ruth Aiken that had a great impact for the Silver Ferns. The Diamonds led 23 20 at half time, and Aiken brought on Harrison at wing defence and Liana Leota near Barrett Chase at wing attack. Jolene Johansson, or Henry back then, was replaced by Harrison. She says it was an intense experience on the bench as the game came down to the wire.
0: We were quite noisy. I mean, I even got in trouble by the ref for banging on the chilli bin like a drum. (laughs) I'm normally quite a reserved person, so I don't know what got into me. But yeah, like I said, I was just literally living and breathing every moment that my teammates were on the court. It was absolutely surreal. An amazing feeling to feel so wholeheartedly connected to everyone.
1: New Zealand nudged ahead in the third quarter and took a 35-33 lead heading into the final 15 minutes. Going into the final, the Silver Ferns averaged 12.7 rebounds a game, the best of any team. In contrast, Australia averaged 5.5 a game, which put them eighth in that stat. And as it transpired, the clutch rebounding of Captain Casey Kapoor played a big part in the final. Anna Harrison was also causing havoc outside the circle. Ricky Swinnell was sidelined at the game and says there were so many heart-in-the-mouth moments.
3: It sort of settled into this incredible match of, of ebbs and flows and you know, the Aussies went out to a lead and then the Ferns went out to a lead and then there was uh, all these little things along the way and the chances to win it. Cass Cox had a chance to win it and that it was like that quite literal edge of your seat was sort of half up, half down as the shot would go up in the air. So it was it a was, um, very vivid uh, memory
1: that game. The Silver Ferns put the foot down early in the fourth quarter and went up by seven, the biggest lead of the final. The game looked gone. There were just over 12 minutes left, or so everyone thought. That's when Diamonds coach Norma Plummer brought veteran shooter Kath Cox on at goal shoot, while Captain Sherelle McMahon moved to goal attack. As soon as Cox entered the court, he started bombing shots in from all over the circle. After surrendering a seven-goal lead, the two sides were locked 47-all at the end of regular time. And so the game went into extra time. Norma Plummer, who has been left with slightly damaged vocal cords after years of having to raise her voice in noisy stadiums, says it became a war of attrition.
2: But then we went on to this amazing game that just kept going back and forth and back and forth. As I think you said, the longest game in history, Mm. um, from what I remember too, yeah.
1: Was it nigh impossible to stay calm on the sideline?
2: Oh, you're always anxious but, um, you know, I think as a coach you've got to try and keep your composure because you know, if I had been jumping up and down going off my brain technically the players that rubs off on them and I think you try and you know, keep it but underneath, yeah, you're screaming. <laughs> you know, you've got this game going back and forth and then a little mistake is made, and just when you thought you were going to finish off with the shot that would win it, something happened. But, you know, you lose the ball in that instance and, um, you know, next minute you're still in the fight.
1: With Australian goalkeeper Susan Furman keeping Irene van Dyke relatively quiet, Maria Falau ni Tutaiya, had done a lot of the shooting and was deadly accurate. But with just over four minutes left of extra time, Falau started hobbling. Cramp had taken hold and she asked van Dyke to do more running so she could concentrate on the shot.
0: I can distinctly remember her looking at me and going, I can't run anymore. And you know, thinking to myself, holy moly, I cause havoc when I'm outside the circle. (laughs) So I was like, well, that's going to take everyone by surprise. But um, I think we we were so much in sync that, you know, it didn't matter what she asked of me, I was going to do whatever it takes. To get her the shots because she was on fire. But I can remember too that um, Katrina and Casey, both of them, had the most horrific cramps during during that game, especially because it was so hot. And I think yeah, the bodies just shut down after what eighty eighty nine minutes.
1: As extra time drew to a close, big game players came out with some big game plays. Captain Casey Kapua came up with a clutch rebound with two minutes left. Then Australia's Moneo Gerard came up with two big turnovers, which Cox converted to put them ahead by one with a centre pass in hand. Agonisingly for Australia, they lost the ball out of court. And with 10 seconds left, Kapua had no choice but to buffet halfway down the court to Irene van Dyke. New Zealand scored just in time to force the game into double extra time. Dyke remembers that moment.
0: I think you you get to that point where you you just know, like, we we were such a tight-knit team that you just knew that everyone was going to do everything in their power to back one another up. And, you know, it showed how much confidence she had in me holding high that, yeah. And I think it took them by surprise too because you don't take chances like that in, in the heat of the moment. So, it's
1: yeah, I, I think that she she just surprised
0: yeah. them and the majority of everyone
1: else. Now, the winner would be determined by the first side to take a two-goal lead. Australian centre Nat Von Berto says it was exhausting.
6: Uh, I remember thinking, can this game keep going? <laughs> how can it keep going on and on? And, you know, it was such a long game um, to play in. So I do remember thinking, how much longer can we keep this up? <laughs> and when is there going to be a result and, and I think particularly that came to mind because Commonwealth Games um, tournament is quite intense, um, a lot of court time and the heat and all those types of things that just felt like what's going to happen here I guess. I remember thinking wow this is this is one for the ages and
1: I do remember everyone was
6: starting to break down and I knew I didn't have much left, uh, left in the tank.
1: It was an almost unbearable watch for people back in New Zealand. Memories of Manchester eight years prior when the Silver Ferns lost to Australia in double overtime resurfaced. There was so much to take in at every turn. It was an assault on the senses. Radio sport commentator Malcolm Jordan was sitting in a studio in Auckland alongside former Silver Ferns coach Yvonne Willering calling the game. The commentary captures the excruciating anticipation that netball fans across New Zealand must have been feeling.
5: McMahon into Cox, Cox shoots, Cox can't miss, for goodness sake, Aussie up by one, oh Intercept Girard.
1: By Girard. this is critical
5: New Zealand have turned it over though, Tudair lands it, oh it's 59 all, who can see this, Cox shoots, Cox misses, misses it, New Zealand oh, goal New Zealand the- ball New Zealand up by one, 65-64, she can't get in there, she goes back to the transverse line to Williams, again top of the shooting circle, away on the right to George, George underhand pass to could two be to be Air, it. this, could be this be is it, it. The, golden the golden glow, the silver ferns, they are back to back gold medal winners at the common says unbelievable. Forty seven all at full time.
1: Fifty eight all after extra time. It's a moment the players will never forget.
0: Honestly, when I think back at that, all I can remember is Rhea and Bobby rolling on the ground. (laughs) I don't even know how to explain it. Like I said, I'm a pretty reserved person, but I kind of chucked that out the window that day. I think we all did. Yeah, it was an awesome feeling that I can't really describe.
4: Oh, I'm pretty sure everybody was holding their breath when she took that shot because it wasn't exactly – it was a typical rear long shot, um, so it wasn't like an extra risky one, but it was like, oh, God, please go in. (laughs) So I think everyone was hoping that, and, um, yeah, I remember that. That was – it was cool. It was awesome. It's one of the moments that you treasure um, in your career um, when it feels like, you know, the hard work and sacrifice is um, for that enjoyment is pretty cool.
1: Maria Falau was interviewed right after the game. I'm just so speechless. This means the world to us. Every ball that we got, we just had to
4: secure it. We had to, um, look, our defensive end getting that rebound and
1: then Casey passing it to Irene and then scoring it. It's honestly, we, we, we are the ultimate team. It was the longest official game of netball ever played, stretching over 84 pulsating minutes. Moments after, Captain Casey Kapua said it was the toughest game of netball she'd ever played.
4: Three-quarter break, I said to the girls, you know, I want to drag every one of you off the court. I don't care if you're crying, if you're on the ground, you know, we need to put put everything into this last 15 minutes. Obviously, we played another half an hour. That's the hardest game of netball I've ever played in my life. Um, it was so tight, so skillful, um, very intense, but also mentally just to stay switched on the whole time. So I don't really know what to say. <laughs> it's a, it is a once-in-a-lifetime experience, and I wouldn't want to share it with anybody else.
1: Few hours after the game, Coach Ruth Aiken admitted she thought they might have blown it after giving up that seven-goal lead.
0: That did go through my mind. I did, however, believe that this group could stay in the game, but it sort of ended up a little bit of a chess match, really. I think you know, with us making substitutions to um, to counter some issues that were happening on court, and then Australia doing the reverse, and and us then having to to think again. So. Yeah, probably a sense of relief, a bit of a sense of disbelief
2: almost, of how amazing that game was.
1: Norma Plummer says they couldn't stop Maria Folau that day.
2: Maria Tutaia, oh, Palau's, like performance was outstanding, I thought, that day. You know, we couldn't, we couldn't counteract her at all. She was uh, yeah, brilliant, I mean, think, 95%, something like that. She shot,
1: she sort of couldn't miss. Ricky Sonau interviewed some of the players after the game and says it was pure elation.
3: I always remember Timmy Pada was hugging everyone. And she, she hugged Prince Edward, remember, when um, mm. when he gave out the medals. And, you know, sort of when you're the, the media and, and the athlete, it's not, not really the done thing for, for, the, for the media to, to, to hug the athlete. So it certainly wasn't in those days. And, and she just came in, like, because I'd obviously covered a bit of netball, and just came in for a hug. And she was so elated and so fun. But, of course, they were so exhausted <laughs> as well, um, because it had been, what, 84 minutes or, or something like that, the longest match ever. But, yeah, it was a pure, joyful moment afterwards. The image of um, Maria and Timmy Pada rolling on the floor, I think, will never be forgotten.
1: Irene van Dyck says it was an incredible way to finish the Games.
0: I can remember after the game, with the, when the, we had the medal ceremony, that the majority of Kiwis stayed in the stadium waiting for the medal ceremony, and they did a haka. And, honestly, the, just thinking back... At that particular moment, you know, like, it's hair-raising material. It was just, you know, you're so incredibly proud to be part of the bigger New Zealand contingent. It was just, oh, it was just phenomenal. And, yeah, obviously, so we hopped in buses to drive back to the village. And as soon as we got into the village, there was another haka performed to us. You know, it's just such a proud, proud feeling, and everyone was just, so happy. It was such a good night.
1: It was a dream scenario for Anna Harrison.
4: That game was um,
3: epic. There's
4: no other way to be um, involved in it. And for me personally, I didn't start the game. And when, you wanna, when you're an elite athlete in a team, starting's like where you want to be. And I wasn't, understandably, in that wing defence position was new for me as well, coming back into the fold. And the dream scenario for an athlete is to be put on and to help make a difference at that halftime. Yeah, it was the call-up that everyone sitting on the bench wants to have and I was frothing to get out on court.
1: (laughs) Nat Von Berto says it was probably the most upset she'd ever felt after a game and everybody felt physically and emotionally drained.
6: We were incredibly disappointed and I think we all you know, took the opportunity to ring home and Probably that was the hardest loss that I'd felt um, across my career. And um, I remember being on my phone, the phone to mum and dad and just crying. And I was like, you know, that wasn't really me um, at that point in my career. And I'm like, how come I can't stop myself from crying? And I think it was that exhaustion and just being so far from home. And there were some, you know, terror threats before the games and things like that. We'd felt really quite under pressure um, for that tournament. So for me, I remember how devastated we all were. And that's probably what fueled us going forward uh, into the World Championships the following year because we never wanted to feel like that again.
1: <laughs> Norma Plummer remembers calling Von Berto when they were back in Australia. And I said, um,
2: how are you? And she said, oh, I can't stop thinking about it. And, uh, you know, players and coaches, it's what we put our heart and soul into. And so it has to affect you. And... Um, I know the team hurt for a while there. But, um, you know, the, the ability is on how do you bounce back. Look, it's, it was a privilege to be part of it all. It was a privilege to coach Australia and to be, um, you know, in that history with, you know, wins and losses.
1: It's absolutely great. Now, Vomberto says she counts herself lucky to have played during that era.
6: You know, it's always against New Zealand. Or it always somehow ends up being tight at the end of the game how wonderful to be able to say that I was involved at a time when it was just, you know, so close and and almost, you know, so many games decided by one goal or extra time and that type of
1: thing. Norma Plummer would name Nat Von Berto as her new captain before the 2011 World Cup. Australia beat the Silver Ferns at 58-57 in extra time to exact a diabolically appropriate revenge for their Commonwealth Games loss. And so another chapter was added to the storied rivalry. But for Irene van Dijk and her teammates, the Delhi double extra time win was the ultimate game.
0: It was incredibly physical. It was incredibly taxing. And just thinking back about it, it's like, holy moly, I haven't actually watched it again and i think i should cuz oh it was just incredible this is the shot of it?